Have your Bible join me in Exodus chapter 20. When we come to Exodus chapter 20, we have been looking at the Ten Commandments in light of the grace of God that is revealed in those commandments. And really, the Ten Commandments help us understand a little bit of who God is. So we're going to review real quick, but then we're going to have to go high level for just a second to come back into today's message. So we have been looking at, we started with the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And we looked at how this is the aspect of trust and how any relationship is built on trust. And so God, from the very beginning, says, you don't need to put anything else in front of me. You just need to trust me. Keep me first and I will do the rest. Then we looked at, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Don't make God small was the idea here. Keep him big. Don't make him into something that he created. He is so much bigger than that. And that brought us back to worship. To be there in awe of who God is, in the magnitude of God. The third commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. This was the idea of don't tag something with God's name. So be respectful. Don't bring God down in the way that we speak about Him. But in that, don't tag God's name onto something that's not His will. And that's the aspect of direction. How God has a direction for this world and for every individual He created in this world. And how we fall in line with that direction. Then, four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. This was the idea of God celebrating His provision that he would take care. He has given, and we can rest in the joy that he has given. And we don't have to go about trying to provide for ourselves. We go about trusting God and doing what he says. And then we looked at last week how there becomes a shift now. And this shift begins to help us understand a little bit more of the character of God and the very nature of who God is. There is a debate that floats out there. And and ironically, I have seen it around this week, but it was first brought to my attention by my five-year-old son. We're we're driving along, and we're going, I believe, to the hospital, and Justice pipes up from the back. Why is God a man? Well, and then you begin to think through that. And the reality is, without our, and and there are people who really debate that God is not. In Scripture, God reveals Himself, and God clearly reveals Himself with masculine pronouns. That we know to be true. When God incarnates Himself as a man, He is literally a man. Adam was taken and formed in the image of God. Eve was taken from Adam. Eh, that's a bit of an argument. But as you come through this process, one of the dangers, there's clear references to the masculinity aspect of God. But I hope you're with me here this morning and don't think I'm going off into some strange tangent of a doctrine. We define man as what we see and know. And so this, you know, frail human body. And to take infinite God and to make him small into man is almost to make him into a graven image. Do you understand what I'm saying here? So is God referring to himself in Scripture in a masculine sense? Yes. Is God man? No. No, he's really not. And yes, Jesus was God, but he was also God. 
And, and to say that God is man is to limit God so much. In fact, Scripture says, they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. Why? Because God is spirit. So God is so much bigger to, to try and take and limit Him to the term of man is a bit limiting of who God is, though there is reference to masculinity there and pronouns and so forth. The reason I bring that up is because now we begin to see, here's God, and God begins to use things to help us understand who he is. For instance, do you recognize when Jesus walked on the earth, that's when he was referred to as the Son of God? But in the Old Testament, he was not referred to as the Son of God. And the reason is to help us understand a little bit better in our finite understanding. You see, in eternity past, there is God, and God exists as a triune God, as we sang about just a minute ago. How that works, I don't know, and I don't believe we can completely understand at any level. But there is God, he is one, and yet there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. These three, as one, exist in eternity past, and there is in this trinity unity, and there is an unbelievable relationship here that we just we can't grasp, honestly. We can try, but we can't get all of what the trinity is. And when you look at the aspect that there is a God in heaven who before he ever created man knew that one day he would give commandments to men and that one of these commandments would be honor thy father and thy mother. And one of these commandments would be thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill. He, he knew all of this. And in eternity past, as God creates, he now comes to a place to where how can I create the world, as if God has to reason, but you get my thinking here, how do I create the world so that man can understand me? This is not, let me create the world so that I can understand man. It's, let me create the world so that man can understand me. So in that, God in this perfect trinity fellowship relationship makes man, and over the course of time, he now lays out foundational principles for mankind that help them understand who he is. So that as we look at these commandments, and we're looking at basically commandment 5, which we looked at last week, and then we're going to look at 6 through 10. As we look at them, there's a relationship aspect here that is critical, and we have to remember that this relationship aspect is stemming back to the Trinity and who God is. I know, high-level thought. So as we look at the, the lower applicable level of these truths, keep that high-level thought in your mind this morning. So last week, we started this idea. Honor thy father and mother, and, and how this principle of Scripture came back to honor. And we spent time last week looking at the importance of teaching honor in the home. The honor that has to be towards children, children towards their parents, from the parent to the grandparent. And then we looked at how honor has to be taught to our children because no nation, no culture will ever be stronger than the families of that culture. And the family is the foundational God-ordained, God-planned, God-created unit. And we need to protect that family. 
And in that, we begin to teach honor. And as we teach honor, it then continues on in other aspects. You see, God wanted the Hebrews to know and to understand what honor really was. Join me, if you will, there in verse 12, where we were last week. This is Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Or excuse me, thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's wife. And on and on. The, the idea here, we have five different commandments that are all relational in nature, and they all stem from the concept of the fifth commandment, which is honor. I want us to look at them in light of that. First of all, there in verse 13, thou shalt not kill. The Hebrews were taught early on that they were to honor the lives of other people. Now, that's simple. Look, if you go and kill someone, you have no honor, no respect for their life. Remember going back last week, honor is to praise, to celebrate. And so there should be a celebration of the individual life and to come and attack an individual's life by killing that individual is to dishonor that life. Now, I don't believe in any way that this precludes us as individuals, as Bible believers, from serving in the military, from serving as police officers, for defending our country, from defending our homes. Because in that, I may have to take a life to preserve a life. And that is not at all what this is teaching. The idea here is that I don't go out with the intention of killing someone to dishonor their life. I am supposed to honor life. Now, where this comes out is once I recognize thou shalt not kill is the idea that I put honor on other people's lives and that I give value to their lives, I recognize that every individual who has ever walked the face of this earth is an image bearer of God. And that makes a difference. We, as Bible believers, believe that you should protect life. Now, my wife, as you know, is pregnant. She does not want to know the gender of the babies. I do know the gender of the babies, and I am the only one who knows, though there are technicians who obviously know, because it's not like I can sense it, you know? I mean, there are people who know, but I'm the only one who knows. There's a, a nurse there at the hospital, and she comes in, and she keeps referring to the babies the same way every time. And so my wife's dying. She's like, she's telling me the gender. I know she's telling... And, and the nurse finally said, oh, no, 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 no. Look, I don't know. It's not written in the chart. I don't know anywhere. She goes, but they're people. I just can't refer to them as it's. I have so much respect for that. I, I, I get that. Because they're not it's. And we believe that life inside of the womb is still life. And we believe that dependency is not worthy of a death sentence. And we believe that life is God's to start and God's to end. And it is getting more and more common that the world doesn't believe that. I read an article just the other day of a man who came down there in the home where he lived. He had a huge party with all of his friends and everything there in the home in which he lived. And then he went back to his room and took his own life. And the party 
was because it was his last day on earth. The party was to celebrate that he was taking his life that day. That's becoming more popular in our culture. And there's a logical side to it. Dignity, respect, suffering. But there's a loss of honor. And there's no longer a look at life and saying that life is an image bearer of God. And I don't have rights to that. That's God's. And I have to honor and respect that. Now, here's... This is where we have to be so careful about this. I recognize the value of life. I don't think we should define when it ends. It is not my role. That is God's job. I got that. But isn't honoring life more than just deciding not to kill? You see, thou shalt not kill establishes this principle. It's the very lowest level, and in fact, Jesus raised the level on it in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. Well, we just read that. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a call shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall be or shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. You see, the principle here that Jesus is raising the standard, he's saying, this was the law, but the principle is so much bigger. The law is don't kill, but the principle is to honor life. So don't hate them. Don't, don't hate your brother. Don't call him a fool. Don't be angry towards them. Have an honor of their very life. You see, we are to honor the very existence of every person. Think about that. What that means is if the one in front of me is breathing, they deserve my honor because they're image bearers of God. And when it comes to taking their life, I get that. When it comes to being angry at them, I don't always get that. I was coming home Friday night, and like any good dad, I ordered pizza. So <laughs> I'm waiting to pick up pizza for supper, and it's Friday the 13th, you know. And so apparently everybody else in Canton wanted pizza Friday the 13th as well. So I go in. I'd ordered on my way. I get there to Marco's. I come in, and there's people in there. And I mean, you can feel the tension when you walk in. Now, you have gone into that restaurant before. Normally, it has golden arches. And, and, and there's two employees working, 27 people waiting in line, and three sitting over here on a break. And, and you're going, can I get my food already? That was not the case here. There were people at the register answering phones, taking orders, and the back line was packed with employees making pizza. The ovens were just stacked with pizzas coming out. There were people cutting and boxing the pizzas as fast as they could. Here are people going in and out to their cars to deliver pizza. They were doing everything. That, honestly, I don't know that they could have put one or two more employees in there. They were genuinely doing everything they could. It didn't change the fact people were having to wait on their pizza. 
And I mean, people are pitching a fit. And they're chewing them out. And this lady at the cash register, she's apologizing. She has fallen all over herself. We are trying. She's going and she's looking like in the line. Like, ma'am, that's your pizza, the third one back in the oven. It's coming. And I mean, they are just chewing this poor lady out. And they're irate. And they're yelling. And they're complaining among themselves. And the lady's like, I'll give you, you guys want a drink? You guys want a cinnamon, whatever? And she's trying to give stuff away. And they're just... I'm going, it's pizza. But haven't you been there? It probably wasn't pizza. It might have been the brakes on your car. You, you, there was something. And here's the person in front of you who's an image bearer of God, who deserves honor, and yet you're getting angry at them. And often, it's the people you love most because familiarity breeds contempt, and I don't have to put on a show of politeness with those that I'm closest to. And my anger can lash out at those that are nearest to me. And God's saying, look, I have a principle. There's a, there's a commandment, don't kill. But I'm raising the bar on this. You need to have honor for the very existence of every single person even if what they're doing isn't right so we have to bring that level up we begin to recognize and we begin to show that love but the principles really continue look at verse 14 thou shalt not commit adultery look at this in light of the same principle of honor God expected his people to honor one another's marriages now it is true that there's a breakdown of the home, which goes back to commandments, that when you dishonor another person's marriage, you begin to break down a home. Or say, look, don't commit adultery. Don't attack that home. It goes a little bit further, though. It goes a little bit beyond that. Again, the Lord raises the level. Ye have heard that it was said of them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. The Lord said, look, when your mind begins to think improperly on another individual, you've already gone over the edge. And, and the principle here is this. Look, honor the marriages of others because the marriage of other people is on this earth the closest relationship you have to who I am. It's why God calls the church His bride. It's, there's a picture here. And so that is the closeness of the relationship that God wants with us. It's why I'm convinced that in heaven we're not given to marriage. It's because there won't be any sin. There'll be this perfect nature, and there'll be such a closeness among us. There won't be any need for procreation. And so there'll be such a perfect intimacy between everyone that there won't be that need for marriage. But for you and I, on this earth, when done right, and it so rarely is nowadays, but when done right, marriage is the closest relationship on this earth. And the Lord says, protect that relationship. Guard that relationship. Because it's going to guard the home. But, but you've got to protect that closeness of relationship because in it you're actually helping people to understand to protect their relationship with me. 
But when someone begins to attack another person's marriage relationship, then they're attacking the most intimate and personal relationships. And God's saying, look, don't do that. You need to be about honoring someone else's marriage and therefore protecting their relationship. But that continues to permeate. When we were hiring Pastor Jeff to come in and work with our youth, one of the questions that got asked, and I have no idea who it was, so if it was you, please forgive me. I have no idea who asked it. Is if a kid comes to you and says something, would you tell their parents? And I didn't even let him answer. I said, yes, yes. And we've done that since he's been here because the relationship between mom and dad, or between, excuse me, child and mom and child and dad is so vital that we're not going to undermine that relationship because other people's relationships are important too. So I have a responsibility as a believer to go and to focus on making sure that I honor other people's relationships and I respect them and I help them and I make sure their relationship is important too and that it doesn't come back to just what I want, but there's an honor there for everyone. And that closest relationship on this earth that then permeates every other relationship. It should never be my goal in any situation to undermine someone else's relationship. Now, having said that, are there times as a parent when you have to look at a child and go, uh-uh, that friendship, gotta go. That relationship, yeah, that ain't happening. No. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is in the right context, in a good and godly fellowship, friendship, marriage, whatever it is, that I don't try to undermine that. I try to help it and to make sure that it prospers. Verse 15, thou shalt not steal. You see, God commanded his people to honor others by respecting their ownership of property and possessions. There in Matthew 5, again, if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. The idea here is that I should take and I should look after other people's possessions and honor them and show respect. I shouldn't try to take from somebody else. I should have so much respect for them that if, they want to take something from me, I give it. I say, oh, here, you want that? Here, take this also. You want me to go a mile? I'll go a second. There's a great illustration of this in the Old Testament. Jacob had gone to work for his father-in-law, uh, if you remember Laban. Uh, Laban was a very dishonest fella. Jacob had worked seven years to marry Laban's daughter. Laban gives him the wrong daughter. And so then he marries the right daughter, and then he works. So 14 years now he's worked. He's gotten two daughters out of the deal, one of whom he didn't want. And at the end of it, he's got nothing to show for it. So he comes to him and says, look, why don't you keep working for me? And as you keep working for me, I will now give you of my flocks and my herd and my cattle. And so Jacob works for him, and he gets a pile of animals. He leaves town. Laban chases after him, catches up to him. Laban confronts him. And when Laban confronts him, Jacob's response to Laban is in Genesis chapter 31, beginning verse 38. He says, This twenty years, Jacob says, have I been with thee. Thy ooze and thy she-goats have not cast their young, and the rams of thy flock have I not eaten. That which was torn of beast, I brought not unto thee. I bear the loss of it. Of my hand didst thou require it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. 
Jacob's saying, look, I watched your cattle. I laid out there in the cold. I kept an eye on them. And if a wolf came down and ate your sheep, I took a sheep out of my herd and I put it back in yours. Not only did I not steal your stuff, I protected it in such a way that it cost me to make sure you had everything. Man, we look at that and go, that's some character right there. What that is, is thou shalt not steal. That's an honor that goes above and beyond. I can remember the time in my own life where a guy accused me of taking advantage of a project that I was working on for him. And I showed him everything. I showed him, I showed him what I had charged, I showed him the expenses, I showed him everything. And he still was, in fact, he took the papers and threw them right back in my face, literally. I said, okay, this is no problem. I walked out, I took every dime he had given me, and I gave it right back to him. I said, I won't take a dime of yours. And I didn't. And it cost me thousands of dollars, and I was perfectly okay with that. Because at the end of the day, it was more important to me that he not ever be able to say that I took advantage of him. Thou shalt not steal. We honor others' possessions at the cost of our own. My dad used to tell people all the time when they'd borrow something from him, he'd say, hey, hey, do me a favor. Don't treat it like it's yours. Treat it like it's mine. And it's because oftentimes we tend to treat things poorly. I said, no, I want you to treat it like it's mine and treat it with the respect I treat it with. But shouldn't we do that for everybody? Treat them with a respect and an honor for their stuff, because it's just stuff. But in honoring it, we're showing honor towards them. Thou shalt not steal. Looking over in verse 16. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. This is so great. God wanted his people to honor the reputation of others. There in Matthew chapter 5, he says, But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more of these cometh of evil. You take, and don't you dare lie about somebody else's name. Don't you hate it when somebody lies about you? And somebody says something the other day, and, and, okay. It was such a lie, it wasn't even close to being true. For you and I, we shouldn't be that way as believers. We should never seek to run someone else's name down. And when do we do that most often? We run somebody else's name down when we're trying to lift our name up. Don't bear false witness. Look, the idea here, Proverbs teaches us, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. I want to have a good name. That's why I'm not going to steal. It's why I'm not going to commit adultery. It's why there, there's so many other reasons, but that's one of them. I want to have a good name. But it's important that I remember other people's names are important too. That a good name is important for someone else. And I need to make sure that I protect their name. Now, it doesn't mean that I lie to cover up something that they did wrong. But in our day and in our culture, man, it's easy to run somebody's name down. Look, don't bear false witness. Don't lie. Protect them. Continuing on very quickly. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. The idea here is that I should go on and have a way of thinking that values other people's 
objects, other people's relationships. The truth is here, the Lord prohibited dishonorable thinking. To covet means to desire strongly. This goes beyond simply admiring something that belongs to someone else. Coveting occurs when desire for what someone else has begins to undermine contentment. Coveting also occurs when one person begins to resent another because of something he or she has. To covet is to desire something so strongly that it erodes the relationship. Go back. Go back to the very beginning. God creates us as relational beings. In the image of God, who has this perfect triune relationship, and then he says, protect the relational nature of mankind by honoring your father and mother, by going about and honoring marriage, by going about and honoring the reputation and names of other people, by honoring now the things of others, by not eroding your relationship with them because of coveting. And so we have to face the fact that when I begin to desire something someone else has, it can erode that relationship. Now, look, let's just put it on the road here. Most of the time, I, I, and maybe you do, but I don't think this is the case. Most of the time, it's not that I envy something you have. Now, I, I can look at someone else's vehicle and go, man, that's, that's a pretty car. I'd be nice to have one of those. But it, it's not like I'm sitting up at night going, man, I've got to have their car. And I, no, no. It, most of us aren't on that level, I wouldn't imagine. But isn't it true that you can be envious of someone else's lifestyle and begin to covet that? Isn't it funny how everybody's life on Facebook is perfect? And you're going, man, I wish my life were problem-free like theirs. And it's, funny. it's always one of two extremes. Even their life is completely perfect, or you're like, there's no way there can be that much tragedy in any one person's life. I don't know how that works, but... But isn't it true you can begin to covet intangible things? Now, I joke, and please understand I'm joking, and if she's watching now, she would attest to the fact she knows I'm joking. But I, I will look. lady came in last night, one of the nurses, and said something about Kara laying there on the bed and how she's doing a good job of it and whatever, whatever. And, and I said, well, psh, yeah, it's all she does all the time anyway. Now, that's not true at any level. But I'm just joking with her about just laying there all the time. I'm like, man, you think it's hard? What do you think I've been doing the whole time? Now, the truth is, Nana's here. Nana's doing most everything. And so my life hasn't changed all that dramatically much. But hey, Kara's not there. She doesn't know. So I can take credit for this, right? As a typical guy. But isn't it true that you can become covetous of someone else's lifestyle? Man, I wish I had that much time off. Man, I, I wish that I had that kind of whatever it is. And we can begin to covet what someone else's has. Says, man, I wish my marriage were like that. I, I, I wish my kids behaved like that. I, I wish that I was able to go on trips like that. I wish. And it can become such that it begins to erode relationships. And it starts as teenagers, and it seems to be most common among girls. I don't know why that is. But, but young girls will begin to hate another girl just because they look different than she does. And, and they're funny that way. But guys start doing it too. Well, he's a better athlete than I am. He's better at this. He's better. And before long, all of us, if we're not careful, we're so desirous of some other style of life. And we begin to covet 
and it destroys any opportunity for that relationship. I say, will you please understand the laws that I have set before you were designed to, imp- to excuse me, protect the integrity of our relationships. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem to place value on others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. As I go through my life and I honor my parents, and then I take that next step and I honor life and every individual's right to exist. And then I move in and I say, now I'm going to honor that marriage relationship that other people have in all of their relationships. And I'm going to be excited and be happy and be proud for people. And I'm going to honor their name. And I'm going to make sure that I protect their name. And I don't say anything bad about them. And I'm going to make sure that I honor my relationship with them by not having any type of thinking that is dishonorable. And in taking that principle and applying it, I now see the relational nature of God and the Trinity applied to man. And when I apply that type of honor in my earthly relationships, now all of a sudden when Jesus Christ says, hey, the second great commandment is to love thy neighbor as thyself. And I esteem, I place value on them, and I honor them as we looked at with Haman walking down the road. Here's the man the king delights to honor. You know, and it's giving that value. And when I go through life and I give that value to others, I am loving in such a way that relationships change. And now the relationships have an eternal aspect to them eternal property and value that helps drive people towards God. So, are you honoring others with your life? Are your relationships, starting at home, honoring? Or are your relationships selfish? The reason we see it in a lot of kids is because we see it in a lot of parents. And the reason it continues into relationships among peers and in society and throughout work environments. So we start at home and we begin to honor and we take and we execute that honor towards others in every aspect of our life. But today, how are you doing in this area? Are you honoring others or are you just honoring the ones you like? You've heard the message. Now I hope you'll respond to it. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, now's the time to bow your head and ask Him to save you. In John 6:37, Jesus tells us that He will not cast out anyone who calls upon Him. I hope that you will call on Him today. If you need help spiritually, we'd love to be of service to you. Leave us a message, would you? At HBCGA. Org or 770-974-9091. Our service times are 1045 on Sunday morning, 930 for Sunday school, 5 o'clock for the evening service, and then 7 o'clock on Wednesday nights. Our services are warm and welcoming, and you will feel right at home. Come and visit us here at Harvest and call on us if you need us. God bless you.